HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Will Harris, and today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with a real treat, Marja V. And I'm not saying your last name because I'm going to let you pronounce it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I go by Mrs. V with my daughter's friends. But pronounce it. What's the last name? It's Von Gerichten. A lot of people in New York, the world now know that as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, why is that? Von Gerichten. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, that might have something to do with my husband um, being kind of an uber chef. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's yeah. got some notoriety. Yeah, around. he's got a few places yeah. but uh, around up, the world. Upon marrying Jean George, mm-hmm. how long did it actually take you to learn how to pronounce your now last name? About two or three years. <laughs> so that's why I didn't even attempt it when you told me that. I said, I'm, I'm going to let her do that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll have you on in three years and practice until then. Okay, good. And nail it. And then, then we'll test yeah, you. Okay. Fantastic. Um, you have a fascinating story. Now you're the host of Kimchi Chronicles, a mm-hmm. wonderful television show on PBS, Thank you. Um, which is about you trying to find your heritage, mm-hmm. uh, trying to find you know the history of where you're from through food and connecting with family. But let's talk about why you have this TV show. Where were you born? So I was born in Ujangbul, Korea, small uh, town. It's a little bigger than it was back then. Um, it's a small town outside of uh, Seoul, about an hour from Seoul, and um, I was born to a single 19-year-old unwed, you know, mother in the 70s, um, during a, a time when, you know, the climate was uh, quite prejudiced, to be honest, yeah. um, towards anyone of any mixed race, and especially if you were African-American, and my biological father happens to be African-American. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I grew up... I was born, actually, without a uh, birth certificate. 
um, because all, all of the family documents always are from the father's side. And since my father was an American, I just didn't have any documentation of my existence. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> um, so without that, you can't go to school. You can't register to do anything. Um, so there were really no choices for um, you know mixed race children like me or their families um, in terms of having a future. I would have had to been a a prostitute or yeah. a musician yeah. at that time. Um, you know, later on in years. Uh, so anyway, my mother did the best she could with me and raised me until uh, I was three, and she decided to give me up for adoption. Um, there were some. Uh, Christian missionaries that came to Korea, and they actually set up a Amerasian home for orphans. Um, and they really kind of roamed the streets just looking for these Amerasian kids that were usually roaming around in, in packs and droves because they had been, you know, kind of discarded by their families. So yeah, they can you say that term again, Amerasian? Amerasian. And now what specifically is that? That's American and Asian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, there are a lot of Amerasians from Vietnam War, yeah. you know. So it's anybody of, of uh, you know, um, American and Asian descent. Um, so anyway, one day uh, this, this missionary saw me playing on the street and uh, followed me home and asked my mother if uh, she would consider giving me up. And she thought, you know, what are you, crazy? I'm not going to sell yeah. my baby and this and that. Um, but he continued to visit her for months and months and months, and he kept trying to convince her that he would be able to give me a better life by getting me adopted to the States. So finally, with much, uh, you know, um, persuasion and, and uh, a lot of heart-wrenching decisions that my mother had to make, she finally gave me up for adoption. So I was in an orphanage for about three months and um, adopted by an African-American family. Luckily, I say luckily yeah. because a lot of um, adoptees, especially uh, Korean adoptees, are adopted by predominantly white families or... You know, families where there is no sort of resemblance to, you know, their their uh, their heritage and background. So that can be tough growing up. Um, also in the military, right? Your adoptive parents. Yes. My father was a colonel in the Marine Corps. Yeah. My mother just, you know, finished law school. So um, they were newlyweds. Uh, heard a lot of stories about these Amerasian babies that needed to be adopted and decided to go check out an orphanage. So... There you go. They saw me and uh, started the paperwork, and then I officially existed in 1979. <laughs> so you, oh, shoot, I just gave away my Well, age. I was about to say, you could drop off those first three years. <laughs> Since you didn't exist, you're always three years younger. Three years younger. younger. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so when you were adopted, uh, how long did you actually still stay in Korea? Um, I was there probably, uh, let me see, probably another year. Yeah. And then my, my brother, uh, Ricky, was... Adopted as well. He's Korean and African American as well, but not biologically related. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was three days old. Yeah. So, you know, my parents moved me back to the States. I grew up in Northern Virginia, McLean, Tyson's Corner area, um, and uh, grew up, you know, middle class, regular life, you know, soccer practice and piano lessons and babysitting on the weekends and, you know, just everything that a normal American kid. You know, would uh, grow up doing. Yeah. Did you have flashbacks? I mean, did yes. I don't mean like war-like flashbacks. No, no, no. <laughs> but I did. Yeah. I had uh, lots of memories um, from my time in Korea, and they came kind of like vignettes. Like yeah. I, I remember um, washing clothes with my mother in a stream, and she would pound the clothes on on uh, rocks with these big, you know, wooden sticks. This very traditional way of washing clothes. 
Um, I remember helping her wash blankets, and I could, I could, you know, you just see it from a three-year-old vantage point, so I can only see my feet, yeah. you know, sloshing around in soapy water on these blankets because I used to help wash. Um, yeah, so they always came back in vignettes, and I was, I was able to kind of refer back to my mother and ask her questions because she knew a lot about my prior history. Um, I digress a little bit. Uh, I have to say that I'm so thankful to my parents for being so diligent in preserving my past because yeah. after I was adopted, my father had a picture in uh, my adoption file of my mother, my birth mother, and knew the town that she was in and went door to door for days and days trying to find this woman. Finally found her um, and spent a couple days interviewing her um, you know, about family history, how many uncles and aunts do I have, you know, her backstory, as much of, um, as much information as she could give about my biological father, but she didn't speak English and he didn't really speak yeah. Korean, so you can only imagine that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, I had this complete file with pictures of her and my, my birth father, um, pictures of me when I was a baby, and, um... I was able to reference that later on in conjunction with my adoption papers. And, uh, you know, I was able to, to find her. Yeah. Later on. Which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and right now you're also trying to find your father. Um, you know, I, I did that a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought I struck gold. I yeah. thought I found him. Um, so his name's William Brown. William H. Brown. Um, I looked online and through records. I knew he was from Mississippi, I kind of went through one of those, you know, Google searches where you can pay forty nine ninety nine or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered if those were. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I found this woman. Her name was Betty. This was uh, his mother, um, this William H. Brown's mother. Uh, so I called and I asked her a few questions. I said, was your son stationed in Korea in 1975? And was he at this base? Blah, blah, blah. Is his name William Brown? Is his birthday in March? Everything matched up. And I said, did he ever mention having a relationship with the Korean woman? Excuse me. And uh, she said, no, but it doesn't surprise me. (laughs) Uh, I said, well, I think he may be my father. And she said, she was so sweet. She said, "Um, you know, I would love to have another grandbaby. So she was like, could you send over your picture? So I scanned it and sent it over. And she she called me back and she was like, you know, you're an adorable kid. She said, but I'm afraid to tell you that, uh, you know, my William's white. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, so exhausting. It's yeah. so exhausting. After that, I was just so completely drained from the whole ordeal because I felt so close. Yeah. And then, you know, I just feel like it's a needle in a haystack. So I guess my drive to, to find my biological father isn't as strong as it was to find my mother because I had such solid memories of her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, aside from just finding your mother, finding your roots, you know, your, mm-hmm. your true history. Um, at what age, I think you said 19, mm-hmm. um, is when you actually decided to go back to Korea? Well, actually, no. It, 19 was when I decided to find her because find I was mother, in college. Yes. Yeah. Um, I figured this would be a good time because I was away from my parents. Yeah. And I think a lot of adoptees feel a certain sense of guilt and betrayal towards their... Um, towards their adoptive families because they, you do feel so fortunate and you do love them and you know that they love you and it just feels like a betrayal because you don't want your family to think that you're trying to replace them yeah. or they weren't good enough or this and that but it's really all boils down to just knowing where you come from and having some sense of yourself and um, I lost my point 
<laughs> going back to Korea. Um, yes. Okay. At, at 19 to find your mother. But when was actually the first time you revisited where you were born? Um, about, uh, let me see, probably six months after I met my birth mother. And I moved to New York. Yeah. To live with her. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, I, you know, I was in college. I thought it would be a good time. I, I didn't know where to start. I thought I was going to have to go on, I don't know what was on, Sally, Jesse, Raphael at that time. <laughs> Montel Williams. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to yeah. have to go on there with pictures or whatever. But um, I called the Korean embassy in Washington, D.C. I said I was adopted from Korea. I'm looking for my biological parents. They connected me with these nuns um, that had kind of made it their life's work to reunite, uh, you know, biological families. <clears throat> and um, I spent about 20 minutes on the phone with them, and they called me back three months later. And they had a number, and it was in Brooklyn. And they said, you know, we wish you the best of luck, but we just want to prepare you because we don't know what her circumstances are now. Yeah. A lot of women get remarried. They might not have talked about their past. You know, so just be prepared for rejection. So, you know, finally, after all these years of wondering, 17 years of wondering um, what was going on and, you know, if she ever thought about me and, you know, where she was and did I have any siblings, I had this number and the key to everything, all my questions, you know. And um, I finally got up the nerve to call. It's like 1130 at night. And uh, this brash New Yorker, typical New York <laughs> voice, answers the phone. Um, he said, hello. And I said, Hi, I said, my name's Marja Allen. I made a name at the time. Um, I said, I'm probably not making any sense. I said, but, you know, my name was Brenda before. Is there a Korean woman living in your house? <laughs> <laughs> and the phone was silent, and uh, all of a sudden I heard him yelling on Suki, your daughter's on the phone. Yeah. So she picks up the phone, and she says, hello. And I said, hello. And she said, Brenda. And I said, that's what she named me. She named me Brenda. So Korean. Um, and uh, she fainted after that. So wow. I ended up talking to my cousin. Yeah. Um, for that hour and a half, my mother kind of came to and was just listening. She couldn't move, you know. <coughs> and then we talked every day for a month, I think two months. Um, and then I went to visit her three days shy of my 20th birthday. Oh, wow. And we didn't send pictures yeah. in between that time because I just wanted to see if it was going to be that you know, innate that I would know her right away. Yeah. Because I, I only remembered her from uh, a three-year-old height perspective. Yeah. I could never really see her face, but I remembered her energy being there. Um, and, uh, you know, I took a flight. I was going to school in Nashville at Fisk University. And I got on this flight, and uh, Supercat, do you know who Supercat is? No, no. He's like a huge, well, he, he was a huge, you know, um, reggae kind of dance hall artist. Yeah. Um, famous at that time and uh, he was trying to talk to me you know it was hot and cute at 19 <laughs> and uh he got me bumped up to first class and i was like a nervous wreck going to yeah. visit my birth mother so he's asked me when i was going to new york and i told him my whole story and then he laid off a bit but he became my big brother in that moment and you know he just sent me such good energy and yeah. and um he actually checked on me later that weekend to make sure everything went okay which is really sweet but um you know, I got off the plane, and there was like a wall of people there, lots of Asians, too. And all of a sudden, I saw my mom's face pop out of the crowd, and I just, I knew it was her. Yeah. And it was so weird. It was just so weird. I can't even describe that feeling. She felt like she belonged to me, but she was such a stranger at the same time. Yeah. And this was here in New York, Yeah, right? LaGuardia Airport. Yeah. <laughs> what, what a wonderful place to meet somebody. I yeah. know. <laughs> um, where in Brooklyn was she living? 
Brooklyn. Uh, Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, she was living um, downtown. Yeah. Downtown Brooklyn near Fulton. Yeah. She's lived there for almost 30 years. Excellent. So, in meeting your mother, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if most adoptive uh, adopted children feel this way, that they should meet that person where they left that person. Mm. Was it really odd to then be in Brooklyn reunited with your mother uh, distinctly in a different situation than being in Korea? No, I think it would have been much more freakish if I had been in Korea where was yeah. everything was so foreign. Yeah. Um, what was weird was, so, you know, my mother takes me back to her apartment. She had prepared all this food that I used to love when I was a baby. Yeah. And she was telling me all the Korean names. So that food was really actually my first vehicle yeah. into my, my culture. And I tasted some of these things, certain kimchis and you know, the taste just came flooding back. I don't I, I my taste buds remembered it. It was yeah. so weird. Um, so we had dinner. She was like, you must be tired. I'll make a bath for you. So, you know, she runs a bath. She had a really nice clawed, one of those deep tubs. And uh, she's like, okay, it's ready. <clears throat> so I'm like, okay. So we're both kind of standing there in the bathroom. And I realized she's not leaving. I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting ready to go so I was like, could you just give me a moment? So yeah. I get in the bath, and she comes in, and she's just sitting on the floor, and she starts to wash my hair, which is so weird, because I've been taking a, a bath by myself yeah. since I was like seven. Um, and, uh, you know, she started scrubbing me with this Korean towel. It was all so weird. To, it was just yeah. so foreign. But she told me later she was checking for birthmarks. <laughs> You know? and, and I'm assuming she found them. <clears throat> she did. Yeah. Just to make sure, because she couldn't <laughs> believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but you, you talk about that table, walking in and her preparing that food. Mm-hmm. What, what was on that spread? Um, she made bulgogi, which everybody's very familiar with. Well, not everybody. Would well, you explain it a little bulgogi bit? Bulgogi is uh, very thinly sliced beef, and it's marinated with uh, various things, but the base of the marinade is usually soy sauce, honey, garlic. Um, at that time in Korea beef was very expensive so my mother would always kind of splurge whenever she had the money and, and you know make that for me Wait, which mother uh, my biological yeah, mother yeah, in yeah. korea yeah so whenever she had a little extra money she'd treat me to bulgogi which i didn't have often yeah um she also had uh, japchae which is korean cellophane noodles and that's kind of sweet and it's mixed with that beef and lots of vegetables um and this kimchi called chunga kimchi it's um, a radish kimchi, and it's got like a long tail. It's, it's smaller than the uh, uh, than the big daikon that they use for you know other types of kimchi. Um, and she put it on a stick, on a chopstick, and she said, you "Used to eat it like this." But these are all new flavors. <laughs> it was just very you know. When you were three, you used to. Eat it yeah, like I used yeah. to. I used to eat that, but I tasted it and I totally remembered it. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just uh, it, it was it was quite a validation for me to have some solid something that connected me with with my past. Well, it's interesting to hear that your parents, uh, your adoptive parents, also tried to, you know, inflect your life with Korean cuisine, Um, you know, making bulgogi for you every once in a while. What did you eat growing up? Did you eat a lot of Korean food or did you No, I hardly, I didn't eat any Korean food, actually, growing up. Um, My father used to, every Friday night, he used to get, Chinese food from this Chinese place um, in one of those strip malls. Yeah. And he always ordered this noodle with black bean sauce, and I, that smell was so familiar, and I always loved it. Yeah. It tasted so good. And um, I always thought it was just Chinese food, but 
my mom, after my biological mother, after we, you know, hung out and I moved to New York to be with her, she took me to a Korean Chinese restaurant and there was that black noodle dish. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I said, I used to eat this all the time. Yeah. And I never knew it was Korean. Yeah. So, um, funnily enough, the town where we're from is very famous for that dish. And she used to pay, pay a pretty penny to get that delivered for me. So, <laughs> yeah, that's it's just funny. Awesome. Yeah. So then, on meeting your mother, that wasn't the first time that you really sought out Korean cuisine as well. Um, had you been trying to reintroduce that kind of food of your past back into your life? Uh, when I was living in the States? Yeah. No. No. I just, I, there's, I mean, there weren't Korean markets around. I didn't know where to begin. Yeah. Um, I used to have to do the grocery shopping for the family on the weekends. That was one of my chores. And our local supermarket started carrying kimchi. So I was like, I remember this. <laughs> and uh, I would buy that every now and then. And um, that was really the only, the only thing, um, the only Korean food I, I had during those years that I was separated from my yeah. biological mom. So coming back to Brooklyn, I at least know that in Manhattan... 32nd Street between 5th and Broadway uh-huh. is a vertical city yeah. uh, of Korean mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Cuisine, karaoke. <laughs> right. Um, Which I do every Monday with my biological really? mother. Mm-hmm. Really? That's, mm-hmm. uh, I might have to invite myself sometimes. You just should. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Um, did you go there with your biological mother when you first met her? I mean, where yeah. did she take you outside of the home for Korean food? Oh, always to 32nd yeah. Street. That would always be our Sunday thing. And uh, we'd make a trip to Manhattan and go have lunch there. Yeah. Yeah, which is great. So we tried all different kind of restaurants every every weekend. Oh, awesome. What What are some of your favorite restaurants that still exist now? Um, gosh, so much has changed since then. But there's um, a place called Arirang. It's on the second floor. It's famous for sujebi, which is uh, hand-torn uh, dumplings yeah. and soup. And they also make kalguksu, which is, um, you know, hand knife-cut noodles. Which is delicious, and yeah. I like to eat it in this kind of weather. Um, but yeah, I think that was the only place that was existing then that hasn't changed um, since then. But now I love to go to Wanjo, Kunjip, yeah, Mandu Bar, yeah. And if you want a little higher, um, a little more upscale, there's a place called Dan's Bogum. On uh, it's 32nd, but it's between Fifth and Madison. Yeah, yeah. So I mean. As I know very little of Korean cuisine, uh-huh. I know that there are a couple different parts to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's bop, um, you know, kind of rice. all the rice dishes. There's mm-hmm. juk, which is you know the porridge, right? And then there's the noodles, which I, I didn't know how to say guksu, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, there's also chigae's and guk, which is uh, you know guk is soup, chigae's more like a stew, yeah. Um, yeah, there's so many. And jun, which is, you know, yeah. pancakes and, yeah. you know. But then, at least I think a lot of people go to K-Town here, mm-hmm. uh, affectionately named, um, mm-hmm. for both barbecue mm-hmm. and dumplings. Right. So, explain what barbecue is in Koreatown. Korean barbecue is, um, uh, it's, it's fun because, you know, every table has a, a grill in the middle. You choose what type of meat you want, um, chicken, beef, you know, shrimp even, and uh, you can grill it right there to, to order yourself. And it's great because it feels very familial and um, communal because you're sharing um, from, the same, from the same dishes and 
you know, the same grill and you take what you want. And every Korean meal has panchan, which is which are all the side dishes yeah. that come. And, you know, a lot of Americans think it's an appetizer, but it's kind of meant to be eaten with the meal. Yeah. And often it's given free. Of charge, oh, yeah, right? it's, yeah. It's it's always given free. Yeah. Unless there's some weird, obscure, yeah. new, <laughs> fangled style Korean restaurant. But it's funny. I think the first time I was ever in a Korean restaurant uh, on 32nd and they brought the banchan and I'm like, I didn't order that. I know. <laughs> like, you get so worried. Don't charge me for that. <laughs> right, right. Sit <laughs> that back. And, then and as realize, many refills as you yeah, want. Then so you're like, great. yeah, keep it, keep it yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> keep it coming. What's that stuff? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. I love it. We're going to take a quick break before I get too hungry and <laughs> come to talk about when you met Jean George and elevated your cuisine. Okay. Excellent. You've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org and we'll be right back. White Oak Pastures is a 146-year-old, multi-generational family farm that works in cooperation with nature to produce artisan meats that is safe, healthy, nutritious, and good to eat. Without fail, we ensure that our production practices are economically practical, ecologically sustainable, and that the animals are always humanely treated. We never falter in our determination to conduct our business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, and I'm not even going to attempt your name again, Marjavie. Yep. Bongrichten. That sounds very good. That, that was... You that might was, even was, pronounce it better than I yeah, do. Yeah, that was so nice of you. <laughs> so nice of you to say. Um, so, you know, eating in Koreatown and meeting your mother and reintroducing yourself to Korean cuisine... Um, <sighs> You were all about food, right? You were you were excited about food. I oh, mean, yeah. you were extremely excited about finding family too. Oh yeah. But when did food turn serious for you? Well, food has always been a passion of mine. Yeah. My 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 parents in Virginia let me cook and experiment from the time I was twelve and allowed to use a stove. So, you know, it started out with box muffin mixes, <laughs> you know, with the little blueberry pellets and yeah. stuff on the weekends and you know, my mother would eat my dry scrambled eggs and then encourage me to make dinner if I wanted to. And um, so that was a huge passion for me. I, I ended up cooking, you know, family holiday meals and stuff like that. I love being in the kitchen for yeah. hours. And, you know, I, I thought about going to, um, I wanted a catering business. But my mother was like, take your butt to college. <laughs> yeah. So Parents, I never. Do you hear that? Yeah. They said the same thing to me. And look where I am now. <laughs> I know. Embedded in the food world. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, it's always been a passion, but, but food didn't get really serious. And I don't, I don't think I even took myself seriously and I still don't, um, until, you know, Kimchi Chronicles, the show came along and then this cookbook off offer and, um, just seeing, uh, Korean food in this cuisine in such depth in Korea and learning so many things. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I have to say that, that, uh, you know, spending 13 years with, John George um, has uh, rubbed off on me a little bit. Just a, just just a, a wee tad. Yeah. Just a tad. I mean, he, he taught me um, about seasonality, seasonal foods, and, um, you know, staying close to the source and organic. And he has his cooking style. I have mine. I'm more <laughs> like a one pot dish kind of gal, yeah. um, which it, he loves. It's better because it's less dishes, too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you would think. My husband still has to plate everything at yeah, home. Yeah. <laughs> he can't release that control. No. No. Guess not who at does all. the dishes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought you have Chloe. You have a daughter. Well, yeah. I know. I'm kind of just a. I spoil my, my girl. Yeah. She's yeah. the best. So, um, when you two met, you and Jean George, mm-hmm. um, where did you go out to eat? That must have been a funny thing. Um, gosh. He took me out. Um,. Yeah, he took me all over. I mean, we'd go to Sushi Seki, take me to um, Mezzaluna, yeah. Uptown. But did you ever take him to places. K-Town? No. Yeah. No, I just, I think in the beginning I was kind of intimidated and would he get that food? It yeah. just seemed like such peasant food and um, no, I didn't really do the taking out at that time. I kind of let him take the wheel yeah. and I was learning so much. Yeah. I mean... You know, I'd never been to a four-star restaurant before, and I'm like, what are all these forks? Yeah. You know, what am I going to do? He's like, just work your way outside More dishes, in. yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I learned a lot. But in the beginning, I, I didn't even eat oysters, like yeah. raw oysters or anything raw. Um, no pink meat. Yeah. I mean, I was so kind of like, you know, all-American. Yeah. Give me a burger. Yeah. Yeah. But then... Which I still am. Yeah. Yeah, but it's amazing uh, watching Kimchi uh, Kimchi mm. Chronicles, which I love, by the way. Thank you, um, and makes me want to go to Korea mm. every single day. I think about it. Oh, cool! Um, there's a lot of things that you experience and eat there that you know are Ooh. much more uh, daring you know, than and adventurous. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I, I yeah, I, I eventually got over my uh, problem with that, and I love oysters and my meat rare and all that stuff. Um, you kind of have to learn and be educated about food. You know, it's and you have to try it more than once. Yeah. Um, and that's with any food. So, in Korea, I did some Fear Factor stuff, but not too much. <laughs> Such um, as? Well, I, I ate these silkworm larvae that are just boiled. Yeah. Um, but I used to eat them as a baby, and I remember that taste, and yeah. I remember that smell walking by, and I was like, let me just try it. And... Uh, you know, I got the, the little bugs in the cup, and I'm, like, looking at them, and they look like bugs. You can see a little, oh, it's just disgusting. Anyway, my director was like, eat it, eat it. So, <laughs> anyway, I ate it, and it was uh, nothing that I have to revisit again. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave that in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, things like sea squirt, and they look like penises. Yeah. Have you seen them? Oh, yeah, uh, I know of them. And you eat them usually. You eat them raw. Yeah, you get them live, they squiggle around, <laughs> and then you chop them up raw. So horrible. Yeah, they, they are not the most attractive things. No, and they're quite bitter, and it's supposed to be for a man, you know, of course. Yeah. Um, I didn't do much. I mean, JG did like the sea cucumber digestive tract and yeah. all that stuff. I mean, I would just throw up. It yeah. Just, I, I, I can't do it. Um, 
Yeah, but so much amazing food there. Yeah. Well, what I love about the Kimchi Chronicles is how you do focus on not just the city, but a specific type of food Mm -hmm. um, in each city. Uh, I think one of the first episodes was in Busan, Mm -hmm. um, where you learned a lot about rice. Right. Um, And it was kind of fascinating because, you know, here we have hubs uh, Mm -hmm. for certain kinds of food and cuisines. And Mm -hmm. there it's more of an agricultural Mm -hmm. thing. You know, there's rice here. There are tea gardens here. Right. You know, seafood comes from here. Right. The best black pork comes from there. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So what were the cities that you visited and what were those corresponding foods? Um, let me see. I went to Sokcho, which, where most of my family is, my biological family. My grandmother, I have aunts there, cousins. Um, so it's a mix of mountainous and, and mountains and sea. So you get your great wild herbs that come seasonally, your, your wild vegetables, um, those great mushrooms. Those, uh, they're, like, um, they're like the Japanese matsutake mushrooms. Yeah. Similar. They're yeah. very expensive there, too. But you can actually go and pick them. Yeah. Um, and then amazing seafood, which they catch live. And they have this port where you, know, you pick whatever you want, live shrimp, crab, whatever. And you take it inside the restaurant, and, and they'll cook it up for you, either in a stew or steam it or on the grill, which I just I absolutely love that. Um, Pusan is famous for um, uh, seafood, yes, um, as well as rice. Uh, Andong was another area. It's famous for its chicken. Yeah. And salted mackerel. Yeah. And Andong's kind of, it's not near the sea and it's not really near the mountains. So it's kind of this area where, um, you know, people with their wares back in the day would travel long distances to go from Andong to Seoul through these mountains and they'd have to salt, you know, fish or this mackerel that they'd catch and, uh, you know, travel with it for weeks at a time or whatever. Yeah. But it's really ingenious yeah. and it tastes delicious and they still prepare it the way they always have. And preservation methods weren't just uh, quirky to make pickles. No, you know? no, no. Yeah. It was a necessity. Yeah, yeah. I have a funny story about um, the red hot chili peppers that, uh, you know, Korean food is so famous for oh and the gochujang the, the gochujang yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i love that stuff oh, yeah. so good yeah. i i used to think that was just kind of like a, a condiment yeah. but when i went to korea i realized it's used more often than not yeah yeah it's kind of like a base for everything it's yeah it's like our mirepoix or so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 exactly yeah. so i really learned how to use it yeah um so the chili pepper it came to korea about uh 300 years ago um from the Portuguese missionaries who stopped by Korea, and the Japanese were occupying at that time. And they brought these hot, fiery chilies from Mexico. And, uh, you know, the Japanese were enslaving the Koreans, and they thought that these peppers were poison. <laughs> so they gave it to the Koreans, and they found a way to preserve food with it, which yeah. is ingenious, because before that, they did not have spicy you know, they did have, you know, sort of spicy greenish peppers, but it was nothing like what we're famous for now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's amazing through all that trade and, well, through throwing, it's like a throw out, uh, mm. you know, it's an ingredient that they weren't going to use. Right. Gets interpreted in a different way and becomes yeah. like a staple of the cuisine. I think if you dug into any culture's yeah. cuisine, you would find those fusions that have gone on yeah. through history just with all the trade. And it's awesome because it's not just ingenuity. It's yeah. a little vindictive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, or vindication. Right. I mean. Yeah. 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 So, kind of amazing. Uh, Jeju Island. Uh, Jeju Island, yes. Seeing that episode, um, and I like how you call it the Hawaii of uh, yeah. Korea. 
that is a stunning location. It is. It is. It's a famous uh, honeymoon location for a lot of Koreans. Um, it's quite, quite warm. It's beautiful there. They're famous for seafood and also Blackfoot pig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the tea gardens were in one of those episodes. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, the Amore Pacific Tea Gardens. Yeah. Um, Amore Pacific is actually a skincare line that I've been using for years. Oh, and cool. uh, yeah, I <laughs> talked to the uh, my friend over there when I was doing the show, and I was like, "Wouldn't it be awesome?" Because she was showing me all the tea gardens, and you know, they actually make tea that you drink and all these amazing things. So we went over there. It was just pristine and amazing. Yeah, delicious. So, with the show, you've also done a cookbook, Mm -hmm. trying to introduce uh, the U.S. um, Americans to cooking Korean food Mm -hmm. in their home, because right now it feels like a delicacy. You go out and like, I went to this Korean restaurant. Right. What are you hoping that people learn about the cuisine itself and are able to interpret in their own house? Well, I hope that people uh, are a bit um, adventurous and, uh, you know, and they kind of get out of the bibimbap and the, you know, kind of stray away from the barbecue so much and try some of the soups. I mean, you know, Korean food is so healthy. It's, it's a lot of dishes are medicinal due to just necessity, you know. Um, there's this medicinal chicken soup called samgetang. And um, it's got ginger root in there and rice and chestnuts and lots of garlic. And I swear to God, if you're feeling a cold coming on, you have that, it'll be gone. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I just hope people could, you know, I, one thing I have to say with Americans is you can't be afraid of garlic if you're going to get into Korean food. There's just no such thing. <laughs> yeah, can't be Korean. a vampire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no such thing as uh, getting away from the garlic. Yeah. There's a lot, and that's how Korean food is. Um, yeah, but I, I, I hope they, um, you know, just explore, and, and they're not afraid of it. And hopefully my cookbook has kind of simplified it a bit, and we really tried to explain each of the different components and ingredients. So once you have those in your pantry, you can basically go to your you know local supermarket yeah. and just buy the vegetables and the meat. You yeah. Know? Well, uh, you make it seem so easy, and it, it does look easy once you have someone like Hugh Jackman who was on the show <laughs> and he he is somebody what is he Australian? He's Australian. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> who I thought and has played Wolverine and he just seems like he'd be more adventurous in eating and he is so scared at first. Yeah, he's afraid of spice. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's such a trooper. Um, yeah, he's afraid of spice and he's always on a diet because he's got to, <laughs> you know, do these action movies. Yeah. He's going to um, get some of those movies where he can be a bigger, bulkier, the I after don't guy think rather so. than before. I don't think so. They always want him as a hunk <laughs> yeah. with the shirt off. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he's he's not just a gratuitous celebrity yeah. just to stick in the show. Yeah. Um, he's actually our neighbor. Yeah. And uh, we have kids the same age, and they adopted two children, so we really um, bonded over that type of story and we've known each other for years and he was super excited when I got my little thing yeah. and he was like oh I'll be on the show and just super supportive um, but he's totally into Korean food I mean his kids they come to my house and they're like all in my pantry <laughs> you know they like Korean juices and the snacks and things like that um, they always want to eat at my house so that's a good thing yeah so yeah. what what is in a Korean pantry oh well the basics are kochujang Korean soy sauce don't give me any of that Kikoman. Uh, Can I say that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're not. Uh, you could, you could have dropped a couple after mom. Right. You could curse in Korean. All right. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just might do that. <laughs> um, yeah, none of that damn uh, kikoman. I hate that. Yeah. Soy sauce. What's the big difference between? 
Um, you know, I don't. I I just find that Kikkoman soy sauce has no flavor and it's just salty. Yeah. Um, Korean soy sauce is brewed for many years and um, they just take such time and effort in it and they have different soy sauces for different things. You yeah. have soy sauce for soup and soy sauce for dip dipping sauces and. Um, I did find this one company uh, that I absolutely love for everything, um, and it's a company called Daesang. Anyway, um, so soy sauce, uh, gochujang, gochugaru, which is the red pepper powder, the mm-hmm. flakes, not the fine ones, but the, the more coarse, and check the package, because some of it comes from China, Yeah, um, which, you know, for Koreans, it's just like... That's, uh, that's too pan-Asian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, um, let me see, what else? Tenjang, which is our version of miso. It's a soybean paste. Um, and I, I think in terms of seasonings, that's about it. Oh, always some Korean alcohol, either raspberry wine or soju, because I cook with it all the time. Yeah, so soju, um, yeah. mainly made from rice. It's kind of uh-huh. a base <clears throat> liquor, like vodka or Oof, something like that. Give but, you a headache. Oh, yeah. Well, what was called mad for chicken. Oh, yeah. Well, it was called Mad something before Mad for Chicken. Now it's called a new thing. Uh-huh. I forget what it's called. What is it called? Chicken, chicken? Turntable. 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 One of the best uh, Korean fried chicken wing places in mm-hmm. New York. Yeah, I've done a lot of shoju there. And oh, yeah? Yeah. And then, Oof, then you the come back the ones. next time and you're like, wait, this was called something else before. And you don't know whether or not it's the shoju or just them changing right. the name. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, soju is wicked. Yeah. I cannot drink it. Yeah. Anymore. <laughs> Anymore. Done. But you had your heyday with it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, shopping, then, for Korean ingredients. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from K-Town, where would people go in New York, in Brooklyn, to find such things? Oof. I think you'd have to go over to Queens. I don't know, yeah. if, there's a, I don't know if there's a Korean or Asian supermarket in, uh, in um, Brooklyn, but definitely Queens, Flushing, yeah. um, Long Island... I always go to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to go right over the bridge because I, I drive all the time. But they have a super H Mart yeah. there, which carries everything. Um, there are also a couple of places in Chinatown that carry some Korean ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. I've found here and there. So introductory recipes. What would you say people should make at home out of your cookbook? They should make uh, bindetok, which is uh, my absolute favorite go-to um, cooking demo dish. I love it. It's a mung bean pancake, traditional Korean mung bean pancake. Um, and it's just basically soaked mung beans overnight and water. Yeah. And you don't think it's going to hold, but it makes the crispiest pancake ever. I, I added an addition. Well, actually, when I was researching that recipe, I was like, I love this taste and I, I always love it in Korea, but I just wish it was a little bit crispier. What could I add in there? You know, I'm thinking, I don't know, flour, I don't know. So my producer's mother, who's an awesome cook, she lives out in California. Um, I called her one day and she said, try some sweet rice in there. Add some sweet rice in yeah. there. Which I did and voila, it was so crispy. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's like mokiko flour in Japanese. Yeah, sweet yeah, rice yeah, flour. yeah, yeah. But uh, I actually add the sweet rice. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I soak it uh, with the mung beans overnight. Oh, that's awesome. Which is great. And then I season it a bit, which you don't, you know, most Koreans don't usually do. And then you can add whatever vegetables yeah. or meat in there. Um, I've done it with cheddar cheese for kids, which is nice. So I love that dish because it's peasant food. It's been around for yeah. thousands of years and it's super easy to make and healthy. Yeah. So this, you know what's kind of interesting? Uh, talking about it maybe being in, an intimidating cuisine for some people. Mm-hmm. How old is your daughter? She's 11. And what does she yeah. like to eat uh, of your Korean rep- repertoire? 
She eats mostly Korean food, yeah. actually. Um, she likes rice cake soup, seaweed soup. I make a daikon soup with beef. Um, I make the knife cut noodles with beef, lots of garlic. It has to have lots of garlic yeah. for her. Um, she likes kimbap, which is, uh, it's not sushi, but it's like our version of rice rolls. Yeah. Um, and you can put whatever you want in there. Usually she's got uh, the yellow daikon pickle and American cheese. <laughs> <laughs> So good uh, yeah. together. American cheese and daikon pickle. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, actually, I was introduced to uh, the idea of a uh, Kim cheese by Sarah Jenkins at Porcina. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, she made one of those for me last week, yeah. and it was, yeah, mind-blowingly good. Oh, but good. It was kimchi, cheese curds, and Japanese white bread. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that sounds good. Uh, yep. And maybe uh, she'll open up a kimchi shop someday. <laughs> wow. I made a uh, kimchi quesadilla. Yeah. With American cheese also. It's delicious. So... Last thing, kimchi. You mm-hmm. know, we, we kind of gloss over it because I think it's spoken about so much these days mm-hmm. as what Korean cuisine is. Mm-hmm. But we have to talk about it. All right. Do you have a pot buried in your backyard? No, because I don't have anybody to dig the hole. Yeah. My husband's not out there, believe me. I'm the one screwing in the yeah. light bulbs. Yeah. <laughs> at the house. So, how is kimchi traditionally made? Um, well, it's traditionally made seasonally, and families will buy hundreds and hundreds of heads of cabbage and just. Over the course of a couple of days, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a village thing. People come and help you. Then you'll go to someone else's house and help them with their batches. And then um, a lot of Koreans now, they don't necessarily bury it in their backyard. They have kimchi refrigerators because they don't like the smell anymore of their refrigerators stinking. Um, you know, but it, I mean, for me, I, I make it, you know, at least once a month in my house. And I'm actually using my bathtub. <laughs> Seriously, because I mean, you really have to rinse, and it yeah. depends on what kind of kimchi and then salting. Don't worry, I, I wash it completely. Yeah. <laughs> you should just have a whole wing in the house dedicated, or a whole bathroom dedicated kimchi making. I know. Yeah, I really should. Yeah, it would be great. Yeah, yeah Sean George, that. Yeah. yeah, for Christmas or something. Yeah, yeah. why not? Let's build a little, build a little <laughs> extra room. Excellent. Well, if people don't know Kimchi Chronicles, they should definitely watch it. It's kimchichronicles.tv. Uh, is the second season in the works? No, not right now. I'm actually, um, hopefully I'll be able to announce uh, soon. I'm working on a uh, a restaurant concept. Oh, very cool. Coming soon. Well, after all that talk, I will make reservations right away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, proving that it really does take a village to make kimchi. Mm-hmm. And introducing Korean cuisine to the U.S. And just having such an inspiring story all thank together you. and if you do keep on trying to find your father best of luck to that oh thank you maybe we'll send this radio clip out hoping mm-hmm. that it helps oh thank you so, so much one. thank you again marcia oh, it's been a pleasure and uh yeah we hope to have you back here next tuesday at three i'm your host michael harlan turkel you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org thanks Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.